Welcome back to the Cornerstone Church podcast and thanks for joining us again for this episode. This podcast was first recorded at one of our women's breakfasts and it was a really special morning where Rose, one of our long-standing members at Cornerstone, came and spoke to us about her daughter Heather who was diagnosed with Rett syndrome as a small child and the impact that Heather had on the whole family and many others is quite amazing. There was also a short Q&A session at the end and we've left it in for you as the answers were very practical about what to do or not to do to help families with children with additional needs. So we hope you find this episode moves you and encourages you as it did us. Morning. (laughs) Okay, so I do want to start. um, Can you hear me okay? Is that all right? Um, actually with a trigger warning, which is we are going to be talking about a child dying. And I know there are, I know personally a few people who have lost a child, but just to make you aware of that, okay? So my name is Rose, in case you don't know me. I'm married to Steve, and we have three children. Michael, who's 24, Connor, who's 20, and Eloise, who's 15. But we did have a fourth child, our eldest, a daughter named Heather, Heather was born on the 7th of January, 1992. She was a much-wanted and much-loved baby. At the age of two, she was diagnosed with a genetic condition called Rett syndrome. There was no indication that anything was wrong in the first few months of her life. She was alert, smiley. She was reaching her milestones. But that is the typical pattern for Rett syndrome. The child predominantly girls, develops apparently normally for the first six to 18 months, and then they regress. Progress and skills that had been acquired were lost. Heather lost speech, balance, the ability to feed herself and so on. She never learned to walk and was reliant on others for all her needs. Rett syndrome has been described like this. Imagine the symptoms of autism cerebral palsy, Parkinson's, epilepsy, and anxiety disorder, all in one child. To say that we were devastated is an understatement. The future we thought we would have as a family was suddenly snatched away. As the singer John Lennon once said, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Or as God's word says in Proverbs 16 verse nine, we can make our plans but the Lord determines our steps. It may seem odd, but we never really asked, why us? Why our child? Well, why not us? We tend to think that things like this happen to other people, and that's true. This time, though, we were the other people. After getting the diagnosis, Steve and I went away for a few days to try and process the news, and my parents looked after Heather for us. As shocking as it may seem, we both agreed it would have been easier if they'd told us that Heather was going to die. At least we'd know what we were facing. But Rett's syndrome was an unknown quantity. What would the future look like for Heather and for us? Should we have other children? What if another child had Rett's too? There was little information on the condition at that time, and what there was was incredibly grim and depressing. 
and very much written from a medical standpoint. There was no information about other families with RET children, and it's so important for families to connect, to support one another, swap advice, to know we're not alone. Whilst we didn't know why it happened to Heather, personally, I had to believe it was for a reason. If there was no purpose to it at all, then I was sunk. So often, people focus on the mother of special needs children, often because she is, in many cases, the main caregiver. But fathers are affected too, of course. And often, they don't have the tools to process the emotion that comes with finding out that their child is disabled. After all, society has told men for generations that they must be the strong ones, stiff upper lip and all that. The diagnosis affects Steve deeply. He voiced his thoughts like this. He said, it feels like I wanted a daughter so much that there had to be a price. And, and this one still gets me, I'm her daddy and I couldn't protect her. We had to grieve the child Heather wouldn't be and embrace the child that she was. We came back from that time away with renewed determination to give our precious daughter the best quality of life we could. Intellectually, Heather was bright and alert. She clearly understood what was being said to her. But the ability to reply with words had been taken from her. She was able to communicate to a degree by looking at pictures or words printed on cards in response to questions. But of course, that method had its limitations. Sure, she could indicate if she was hungry or tired, bored, happy. But in response to, are you sad? If she looked at the yes card, she had no means of being able to talk it through or pour her heart out. And we could offer no real solace because we didn't know the cause of her distress. All we could do was hold her and weep with her. Heather taught us that we take so many of God's gifts for granted, speech being one. Nowadays, there is technology that allows girls and women with RET, as well as people with other disabilities, the ability to communicate and truly have a voice. And I'm thankful for that progress. Due to her lack of mobility, there was a big impact on her health. Poor muscle tone led to a scoliosis or curve in her spine. And lack of weight bearing resulted in her developing osteoporosis at the age of 11, a condition where the bones have thinned and is usually seen in women in their 70s and 80s. And it made her prone to fractures. She endured a great deal. She was extremely susceptible to chest infections and was admitted to the hospital more times than I could count. We even joked that we could probably paper a room with all the x-ray films that we'd got from her. She was ventilated, that is, put on life support in intensive care, 23 times over the course of her life. She had three fractures, two in her legs, one in her arm, spinal surgery to correct the scoliosis, and she had a gastrostomy fitted so she could be fed through a tube directly into her stomach when swallowing food orally became too unsafe for her. The danger being that she would aspirate or breathe in particles of food into her lungs and end up with pneumonia. She had chest physio to keep her lungs clear and suctioning to clear her airways. Between the ages of six and 11, she would be in hospital on average six months out of every year. 
she was classified as life-limited, which meant she wasn't expected to reach adulthood. At one point, the doctors estimated she wouldn't live beyond 11 years old. But it's God who numbers our days, and he would decide when he'd call her home, not the doctors. I would like to add here how amazing the doctors and nurses were that were involved in her care over the years. They became our second family, and we have nothing but love, respect and gratitude, even after all this time. Now, I don't want you to take away the idea that Heather's life was some terrible, miserable, depressing existence. It really wasn't. She loved life, really loved it. She had a smile that lit up the room, such an infectious laugh, and she had a wicked sense of humour. Don't know where she got that. <laughs> she loved her brothers, particularly Michael, because they were close in age, though she made it very clear she wanted a little sister too. And thankfully, Eloise came along nine months before Heather died, so she got to see her little sister. She loved toys, music, her friends. She loved school. Weird, but... She loved being with people, horse riding, and as she got older, going to concerts, makeup, clothes, boys. She was fundamentally a normal child who grew into a normal teen with typical teen interests. She just had a lot of extras. It's really hard to explain unless you'd met her, but people were drawn to her. When she was little, we used to joke that if three wise men turned up, we wouldn't be surprised. People who met her never forgot her. She really did have a spirit about her from day one. Though she had no voice, she spoke with her eyes. And if the eyes are the windows to the soul, you could see her soul clearly every time she looked at you. Now, despite our personal beliefs, we did start taking Heather to a local church when she was about four, primarily for the social aspect. It was a small Anglican church. The congregation was mostly older women who absolutely doted on Heather, and she lapped that up, of course. But also part of it was kind of tradition. Let me explain. You see, Steve and I were part of that generation where the majority of people still went to church every Sunday. And if the parents didn't, they kicked their kids out the door to go to Sunday school, which was the case for me and my brother. It was a time when schools had Christian assembly every morning, and most children knew the Lord's Prayer by heart as a result. I also knew that I didn't want Heather following my spiritual path. God was at work, of course. He had laid out the plans for each member of our family. We just didn't know that then. So I would say nighttime prayers with Heather, even though my own devotions were to the enemy. Through the stories and songs she heard at that church, Heather came to love the Lord Jesus. Honestly, I think she knew him from the beginning. I know that may sound fanciful and perhaps not biblical, but I think her heart was his from the moment she came into this world. If asked, do you love Jesus? She would look directly at her yes card and a huge smile would be on her face. I know for a fact that my maternal grandparents were devout Christians and that they prayed for the family constantly and for future generations. Prayer is powerful and God hears our prayers. Thessalonians 5 verses 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
God wants us to pray. It's not a duty or a burden. It's a joy and a privilege, a direct line to the God of all things. And we who are in Christ may call Father. So be praying for your family and friends, for the lost. Pray for future generations. Be bold in your prayer life because he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that it has worked within us. The doctors thought Heather wouldn't live beyond 11 years. She confounded them all and lived to 16, at which point she was diagnosed with chronic respiratory failure. Her body could no longer exchange her gases, so instead of oxygen in and carbon dioxide out, it was oxygen in, carbon dioxide building up in her bloodstream, slowly killing her. There had been signs that something had changed. She was more tired. She was sleeping more, to the point that she couldn't go to school. And don't forget, she loved school. But we still weren't prepared for the news, nor the prognosis. She may have two months left, maximum. Four weeks to the day from receiving that news, Heather died. As far as I know, there is no single word in the English language that describes a parent who has lost a child. We have words like widow, widower, orphan, to describe the status of people who have lost a spouse or parents, but not for someone whose child has died. It's as though the concept of a parent outliving their child is so horrific that we cannot put a name to it. I have lost loved ones, grandparents, parents, friends. But the pain of losing a child is different. For those of you here who have experienced such a loss, you will know what I mean. The grief pours out like a torrent, like an animalistic roar, at least it did for me, because it feels like your heart has been physically ripped from your chest and there is no comfort to be had. Jeremiah 13, verse 15. Thus says the Lord. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It's a loss that we and our extended family have never fully recovered from. Heather died on Tuesday the 15th of July 2008 at 9.37am at Demelza House Hospice in Kent. Steve and I were with her. We were stroking her hair, kissing her, telling her we loved her over and over. And we told her it was okay to let go and go to Jesus. And I know without a doubt that her final exhale here was immediately followed by her first inhale in heaven, face to face with her saviour. Children's hospices are very special places. They're very much places of life and laughter, actually, providing respite for the family and a chance for the young person to have some independence away from family. Palliative care is part of the hospice service, and the care they gave Heather during life and at her death was phenomenal. Heather had a good death, pain-free and with her loved ones by her side. They also gave us the opportunity to do something that would have been commonplace in this country, well, quite a few generations ago, not so commonplace now. About an hour after she died, 
A nurse helped Steve and me to wash Heather's body. We shampooed her hair. We dried her. We anointed her body with her favorite body lotion, dressed her in her favorite clothes, dried her hair, and sprayed her favorite perfume on her. Being able to tend to Heather's body ourselves was so important. No one else would touch her except to place her in her coffin. Now, as a Christian, I can appreciate just how important it was for Mary Magdalene and the other women to want to anoint and prepare Jesus' body properly for burial. It was the final act of love that they could do for their Lord. It was one of the final acts of love we could do for our daughter, and it remains a precious memory. I wish I could say that Heather's passing brought about a miraculous turnaround in me and Steve, and we instantly became Christians as a result. <laughs> that wasn't the case. That took another five years. But the Lord, in his kindness and mercy, did bring salvation to our house. To me, Steve, our three other children. My mother reaffirmed her faith, even in the grip of Alzheimer's. And my dad was saved a month before he died at the age of 80. And I'm trusting God for my brother's salvation too. Heather changed the lives of so many people just by being herself. Weak in the eyes of the world, perhaps, but strong in Christ. And we are, quite literally, eternally thankful for that. So, what have I learnt from those years with Heather? And what do I hope you would take away from this? I've learnt that God is sovereign, not me. And that it is often only in times of suffering, those life and death moments, that we truly realise that. C.S. Lewis wrote, Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I've learned that God doesn't make mistakes. Heather having Rett syndrome was not an error on God's part. He didn't make her wrong. He knit her together in the womb, and she was fearfully and wonderfully made, created for his good purpose, and he had a plan for her life. I've learned that we don't always remember that God has a bigger picture in mind when we go through trials and suffering. And if you haven't experienced any major trials yet, rest assured you will, because we live in a broken world. But there is that bigger picture, and we must trust God for it. I've learned that suffering is not without purpose. For those who are in Christ, we suffer with the knowledge that ultimately, in this life or the next, all will be fully restored and not just restored, but made perfect. C.S. Lewis again. There are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. Through caring for Heather, I learned that love is not some romantic, sweet sunshine and roses thing. It's doing your utmost best for another, no matter what the personal cost. It's putting your own comfort aside for another. It involves daily self-sacrifice. Love is a promise and a covenant. I've learned that prayer is the most powerful thing we have. I've learned that for those who are in Christ, there are no final goodbyes. I've learned that if God can use a teenage girl who had no speech, no mobility, was utterly reliant on others for her needs 24-7, and yet still be able to touch people's lives and be instrumental in bringing others to Christ, 
we have no excuse not to reach out to the lost with the words of life. I've learnt you don't need to be a preacher or a theologian to do this. Just be kind. Meet people where they're at. No judgment. Make friends with your neighbours. Share a meal, share life, and pray for them. And ask God to give you the right words at the right time, and he will. I've learned to say with conviction, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because whatever happens, I know I can trust the giver. He does all things for the good of those he loves. And even after her death, God continued to use Heather to work out his plan and to touch people still. And I'm going to finish with these two examples. A year or so after Heather died, an acquaintance who was not a Christian suggested that we took the boys to church. Apparently, hearing about heaven and angels might help them to grieve. No mention of Jesus, but hey. So I went online and Googled churches. The first church that came up was Cornerstone, and it said they met at Beadlesford School. There then followed some coincidences that became slightly troubling. Um, one, Beadlesford was Heather's school, and I never knew a church met there. So when I walked into the Sunday service, it was the first time I'd been back since Heather's death. Two, I met a lady called Tony, who was one of the Sunday school teachers, and uh, she said she was a deputy head of a special needs school. I forgot to mention that a year after Heather died, the boys were diagnosed as autistic, so I was expecting rejection, you know, we can't handle your kids. Ah, oh, no, come in, bring them, it's fine, I'm a special needs teacher. Okay. Three, she wasn't just deputy head of a special school. She was deputy head of the special school Heather was going to go to in September, had she lived. And she knew Heather's name, although she hadn't met her. Four, I met Pete, who was very welcoming and certainly not outwardly phased by the fact that I was a Satanist. And as I started taking the children and then Steve came along to church as well, I do want to say here that as a family, we were never shown anything but love, kindness and patience from the people at Cornerstone. Of course, I found out a few years later that there was an awful lot of prayer going on behind the scenes. <laughs> and five, we're still here 13 years later. And a second and final example. Last year, we went to see a band called My Chemical Romance, Heather's favourite band. We could never get tickets when she was alive due to their huge popularity. Anyway, they were touring again. We got tickets. And while we were waiting for them to come on stage, I got talking to the young woman sitting next to me. Her name was Catherine, and she was in her mid-twenties. And we started swapping stories about why this event was so special to us. I told her about Heather and how I'd wish she could be here and how I would definitely cry when her favourite tune came on, a song called The Black Parade. And then she told me that she had wanted to see the band as a teen, but she was brought up in a very, very strict Pentecostal Christian family. And I think her mum was wrong in this. Her mum told her that the music was evil, it's not, they're just a rock band, and that if she loved Jesus, she would not go and see them. And she loved Jesus. But she also really loved that band, and, but she didn't go. So finally, here she was, coming to see them play. I explained that we were Christians and we go to lots of rock, concert, rock concerts. And then I really did feel moved in my spirit to say to her, look, please don't disregard the message or judge Jesus because your mum got it wrong and hurt your heart. 
Jesus loved you then, and he loves you still, even at a My Chemical Romance gig. And her eyes filled with tears, and then she started sobbing and smiling at the same time and said, thank you, I really needed to hear that. And we hugged, and I just said to her, you know, Jesus loves you, go back to Jesus, you know, find a church. She's going, yeah, yeah, maybe not your mum's church. She's, yeah. <laughs> and I have to say that whilst the concert was awesome, and I did shed some tears when Heather's favourite song came on, experiencing firsthand God still using Heather's story to connect us with other people and to share the love of Jesus with them was even more awesome. To um, ask a question of Rose, or you have nothing, to take questions, aren't you? Yeah, nothing's off limits. Nothing is off limits. All right, there you go. As long as it's on this subject. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So ask a question, share a comment. Uh, did everybody hear the question? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, um, yeah, it was that you've got friends who, a child who's life limited. How do you reach out to them? Um, I think it, I mean, I, it's a tricky one because for me it was, we, we just really wanted people not to shy away, just to, you know, accept the child as, you know, accept Heather as she was. We certainly didn't want pity. Um, you know, I know you wouldn't do this, but you don't want to come across as, you know, they're not suddenly your charity case. You want to love them as family and as friends. Um, you know, that their son is a child made in the image of God. Um, but a lot of it is practical stuff, um, so that we would want, you know, someone maybe just to take Heather out for a bit. And it, it's whether you can get to a stage where that can happen, but certainly coming alongside and really asking them, what do you need? Rather than, because there can be a temptation to go, Look, let me do this for you. Which again, you know, they've already not got the power anyway. Um, you'll probably know yourself dealing with local authorities and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, don't never just put your ideas of what you think they'll need, which I know you wouldn't do. But you know, I, th I think it is just ask, say what would be helpful, um, and just keep checking in and saying I am here for you. You know, don't forget all. You know, can I come around for a cup of tea? You know, um, is there a mum and dad as well? Yeah. And things. So you know, and, okay. So and maybe just something like that. That maybe if there's just time away when you guys can, you know, as women go out together, the guys can. I don't know if that helps at all. But. Very bitter and angry question. Mm. How do you sneak into that situation? I think, you know, I mean, the interesting thing was, as I say, I was not a Christian. I was very much an enemy of God. But I also knew God was sovereign. And so for me, as I said, for me, there had to definitely be a purpose. Interestingly, though, I did meet a Christian lady because, you know, special needs kids. And she had had one son who was absolutely fine. And then she had two children, they didn't think the next one would have it, they scanned and everything, where their brain stopped developing at six months of gestation. So they didn't have a six-month-old baby brain, they had a six-month-old fetus brain. So they could not be comforted, they couldn't be fed, there was just so, such complex needs. And she was going, where's God in this? And I think, you know, I think that's the thing that, I don't know if friends are talking about whether they're Christians or, or not, but... I think it speaks volumes that people will get very angry, especially if they're not believers, suddenly go, well, why would God do this? It's like, well, why are you even thinking of a God who can't possibly exist? And I think it's bringing that message of, of actually saying, 
no, this is really, it's really hard to understand at times, especially if they're not believers. You know, it's different if someone's a believer, you've, you've got a, a point that you agree on. But again, I think it's that thing just to be there and just for you to show the love of Christ. For you to be Jesus' hands and feet and his words of comfort. And ask God to, to bring about that change in them, I think, is the, is, the, is the realistic thing. Because I think to go up to anyone um, whose child has received a diagnosis like that or someone who's died, to go up and say, they're in a better place, or, oh, the Lord's got a plan, you want to slap them. You know, because life wasn't, this wasn't how I planned life to be. And I need to blame someone is often where people come from that bitterness. Um, again, I don't know if that's particularly helpful, but we can talk more over a cup of tea. Ruth? My most lovely, actually, is where she, um, she told a lie about one of her nurses. It was hysterical. <laughs> Let me explain. She had her yes-no cards, and she'd come home from school, and in their home book they'd put, we noticed a bruise on her knee or whatever, and she had a knee brace, so chances are it just got knocked. And I said, no, that's fine, okay, whatever. And then I said to Heather, and we've got this nurse called Anna who came in, who was lovely, and they had such a good rapport. And I'd sort of asked her, did this happen at school? No. Did this happen at home? Yeah. Was it this? Was it this? Did Anna... And I just joked and said, did Anna hit you? And she looked at me, yeah. <laughs> so when Anna came along, I said, uh, she told me that... You, yeah. She went, you cowbag to, to, to Heather. <laughs> Heather burst out laughing. <laughs> and I'm like, seriously, you just... You could, this woman could lose her job over this. Um, but that was just very much Heather. You know, she, she just had a wicked sense of humour. You know, we'd be in hospital and she'd be watching Jeremy... Well, she was, she was lying in bed at hospital one time and she was laughing and I was looking at the overhead screen and it was some tragic Jeremy Carl story about someone, you know, I'm a heroin addict, I'm going to lose my kids. And then later on she looked really sombre and it was the woman who got better. And I'm like, what kind of warped sense of humour is this child? So it's, it's that. Um, yeah. I, I, it sounds cheesy, but it's like she loved life so much and she kept going that how could we not you know you also had to have a sense of humor yourself to deal with it so can i just repeat the question because it's quite quiet yeah. so um uh, what's happened has connected rose to lots of people and given her mm -hmm. lots of opportunities and katie's asking has that also happened to steve so steve uses opportunities just through his work and stuff um he wouldn't even listen to this talk, he, he's still grieving a lot. Um, and that's it, but you don't see it, you know, on the surface. Um, so actually, we were at a, another friend's funeral a few weeks ago, and they started playing um, the Snow Patrol Chasing Cars, which is Michael and Heather's song. And Steve is in tears next to me. Um, so I think he would probably bring it into conversations, but I think... Interestingly, you see, our grieving really only started about two years ago. I don't know. When she turned 30, she would have been 30. Um, and actually doing this has really helped me. So it's a slow process. It's not like in the films. We have a really good cry and move on. Um, so, but yeah, that's, that's where we're at. Um, you, you talked about um, the church yep. that she went to and how they doted on her and everything. Yes. <laughs> 
Was that your general experience of churches? Or, um, no. No, okay. Um, um, what, what did churches well, need no, to do? do no, so I think... There's someone like Heather. I think, well, it was less so with Heather, I suppose, because we, we didn't sort of like continually, continually go to church. It was at a particular time in her life. Um, and they were great practically. They, they raised funds for like a special bed for her and stuff. And, um, you know, they didn't expand the gospel like at Cornerstone, but they were very loving and they, they did love Jesus. They were very liberal. Um, but I think it was more probably with the boys mm. um, where we'd, a friend had invited us to another church and uh, they tried to make Connor sit down in their Sunday school, which ended up being a 45-minute talk that they just had to listen to. And we're talking about a six-year-old or a seven-year-old. <laughs> With ADHD. So then they rang me to come and collect him. So, of course, me then feeling like blooming Christians, because I wasn't a Christian. And then they rang me to sort of say, no, we, sh we shouldn't have done that. Please bring them back. And it was actually, that's too late. Because actually, if you have special needs kids, for those of you here that have that experience as well, it can take so much energy just to even get out of the house mm. and engage with people. And you're, you face barriers all the time, whether it's getting something your child needs. Um, church should kind of be the last place that there should be barriers um, and you know people might say yeah but we're not used to it okay still not an excuse you know learn mm. um, but you know thanks be to God when we, we came to Cornerstone and, and Rory with you know Connor was like yeah if it gets too much there's sort of a little corner at the back if you just want to draw or whatever and it wasn't made a big deal of that was the great thing so he didn't feel wrong or bad or whatever mm. um so, yeah, a lot of the experiences, and in fact, just one quick anecdote was uh, we had a lady who used to help do these exercises with Heather. I mean, this is the other thing. God kept bringing Christians into my life. <laughs> they were really nice people. And then about three months later, I'd find out they were Christians. And I, you'd, you'd think God was drawing us in or something. Anyway, um, but I went along to her church, and I was, for once, lost for words, because they were having this sort of little tea and everything. And there was a woman who was a youth worker there, Gladly, our, our youth workers are not like this here. And, um, and I said about Heather having special needs, and she went, oh, yes, yes, yes. We had, some, we had some people visit our church in wheelchairs. I'm like, okay, see where this is going. I said, and they were, we, we were playing our songs, and they made such awful noise. And I'm thinking, they're praising God. I really think people like that should have their own church. And one of my friends said, what did you, did you hit? I said, I was so stunned. I mean, I never went back, but I just thought, you've got someone in ministry here who is saying people like that need a church of their own. Mm. And I think that's definitely an attitude we've got, because it can be uncomfortable when you meet people with disabilities. You know, in a way, with kids, it's easy. They're cute, you know? But with, you know, if we get adults with disabilities or speech impairments or whatever, it's like, it's not about making church accessible. It's about belonging. You know, so you might not have a ramp, doesn't matter. Do they feel belong? Do they feel part of that church family? You know, and again, they're not your project. They're brothers and sisters in Christ, or they're people who are coming in who need the gospel. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we have to be so careful because um, it's clear, like from the story of Heather, that um, God sees people in a very different way to, to how we do. He values people mm -hmm. in, in a very different way. And those, those people that are deemed by society to be the weakest and, you know, people that should be perhaps mm. shut away um, are, are possibly the, the people that, that God uses most and, and honours most. And one day we will find that out. And it will be 
well, embarrassing is, is, is the mildest thing you could say that it would be to discover that somebody that you despised, perhaps, you know, in your heart, is actually honoured yeah. by God. Yeah. Well, I, I heard something that I thought was brilliant where it said you have to remember that Christ disabled himself to live amongst us. Yes. <laughs> he could not come down as in his full glory. No. no. Um, and, of course, and he was rejected as well. He was, mm. you know, so... Um, and he bears scars, he bears deformities, he was nothing to look at. Kind of thing. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's just just a tremendous example of how God, you know, honours the, the, the weakest, yeah. and and that's what the church should do. You know, um, if you read one Corinthians twelve, the weakest members should receive special honour. Mm. Yeah. So I hope perhaps we've done a little bit of that this morning yeah. by coming to hear your story, Rose. We've we'll got um, a stained glass window now. She did so nice, Jones. Michael, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can really see that she. They're definitely Michael my side of the family, yeah. <laughs> Almost yeah. like twins, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're not mine. So. If anyone of you know Michael. Um, yeah, so as I say, we're very grateful to um, Rose. Okay, let me uh, yep. just pray, and then uh, we'll uh, just a few things to say at the end. <laughs> Father God, we want to give uh, gratitude, first of all, to you for uh, the wonderful way in which your plans and purposes work out. Uh, we thank you for um, our sister and brother, uh, Rose and uh, Steve, and also uh, Michael and uh, Connor and Eloise. Uh, we thank you that, uh, that they are where they are today, um, uh, really because of Heather, because of uh, her coming to know and love Jesus and expressing that so clearly, even in the limited way that she had to express things. Um, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us uh, to be people that want to uh, welcome um, anyone, no matter how uh, weak or dishonourable they might be deemed to be by the rest of society. Uh, we pray that you would give us compassionate hearts and uh, wisdom to know how to help families that are struggling with um, of, uh, the difficulties and the challenges of a, a child with many disabilities. And uh, Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll continue to work um, uh, to bring comfort to both Rose and Steve and the rest of the family and uh, that you'll continue to work to give them opportunities uh, to share the love of Jesus through the story of Heather. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for this episode and don't forget that we have plenty of other episodes on our Everyday Cornerstone podcast and also plenty of other resources on our website. We hope that you can find them there.